0: Hi and welcome to another episode of Innovate for Impact. Dan Bentley here and also Tracy Newman and today we're joined by Elizabeth Drozd from AMCS which is the Australian Multicultural Community Services. Thanks for joining us today Elizabeth.
1: Thank you for asking me to be part of your podcasts, and hello everyone
0: no worries we've known you for some time and so it's really great to have you on here we've worked together on a few different projects and that sort of thing and yeah really great to have you share some of your uh, expertise and experience from your tenure in the aged care space so really excited to have you on the show just before we do get into what we're going to talk about did you just want to tell everybody a bit about who you are and uh, what does amcs do for the community
1: Okay, so I'll start with myself. So I've been living in Australia for the last 14 years, so quite a long time. I originally come from Poland and uh, I've had the privilege of leading and managing the Australian Multicultural Community Services after I finished my multicultural studies uh, and really a very mature decision to work with various ethnic communities in Victoria. So I have found my way here and I've been here for quite some time. And I really enjoy everything that we do. And I'm very, very attached to the mission of the organization. And the mission is, it's all about improving people's lives through care, support and empowerment as an organization. And in the next two years, we will be celebrating 40 years as an organization. I haven't been here all that time. Uh, and in fact, I, I worked here, then I left and worked for local government, and then I return to continue what uh, what our original founders set up as the purpose of the organisation. So we have changed uh, over the years. Initially, the organisation focused on migrant settlement, and particularly the western suburbs of Melbourne, where there was recognition that perhaps there were disadvantages experienced by certain members of the community, particularly those that come from various non-English speaking backgrounds. And then uh, that has changed. We also experienced a loss of one of our key founders and then found it quite difficult to function without his presence and his contribution and guidance. And then in 1992, we received our first funding for sort of seniors care. And uh, so since that time, uh, gradually, we've really been moving to support seniors from various ethnic backgrounds. So we are inclusive of all nationalities, but we particularly specialise in supporting older persons from various culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Uh, We do other things. It's uh, the seniors care is the bulk of what we do, but we also assist migrants and refugees to secure employment which is very important to help people become independent and, and um, fully participate in the life of the community and society. And then we have emergency relief, which has been particularly important during COVID, of course. Our largest meeting room became a warehouse, really. That's where we do all the packing and distribution. We've distributed over 3,000 various packs and actually delivered them. To people living in the community, including those that have had to self isolate. And then we have a much smaller program, but I believe equally important, and it's the adult community and further education. And one of our signature courses in that is actually the multicultural leadership course, which I designed on the basis of my experience of being a multicultural commissioner here in Victoria for seven years. So all the things I've learned during that time and and the feedback um, directly from communities, I actually created a course out of that with six sessions just really responding to what um, ethnic communities particularly find challenging or particularly need, and this continues to be a very popular course not only amongst multicultural community leaders but also others including staff from local government and health related organizations who are really interested in doing this course to better connect to ethnic communities
0: fantastic well, I mean, we've we've known you for some time. I think we were just talking before this and it's been about three years, I think. And I just learned a whole heap of things that I didn't know that AMCS did. <laughs> I know a lot of the things that you do, but you do really have a, quite a diverse portfolio, don't you?
1: Yes, we do. And we're continually diversifying. So there are two areas that we are moving into or have been kind of active in. And it's really this whole issue of active aging. So you may have come across our Moving for Life project, which was funded by Sports Australia, where we encourage two and a half thousand ethnic seniors to do half an hour of exercise. It could be walking, it could be gardening, but just being really conscious of the benefit of physical exercise. So that's one area. And the second area that also we are moving into is um, this whole issue of ageism. We feel very strongly about it, including me personally and professionally, because I believe that a lot of the things that are not quite right in relation to seniors and older persons in Australia relates to, I believe, inadequate respect for older persons, uh, I know those of us that are, are working, that are active, and are younger may not relate to this because it's actually considered the most invisible discrimination. And also, there's a view that it's a discrimination type which will be the most difficult to get rid of or reduce. So now, of course, you know, sexual harassment and discrimination is is a big no-no. The same with racial discrimination where these negative attitudes and perceptions are really quite quite subtle. In fact, even this anti-wrinkle creams, um, you know, what what is wrong with creams? Oh, I remember reading this article and that said a great tsunami is coming, meaning to the seniors who will need to work or return to work at least on a part-time basis, maybe because of the fact that superannuation values have gone down and there's such low interest. But you know, for a journalist and a newspaper, to actually give it a title, Great Tsunami is Coming, I was quite appalled, really, when you think about it. Everyone has a right to work. And if people are 80 years of age and they want to work and contribute, what is wrong with this? As you can hear my passion, as yeah, you can hear exactly. my passion
2: in my voice, <laughs> yes. it gets me going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's interesting because, you know, you were talking about the mission of the organisation, but then as you've been talking, a lot of it, you can see it's really comes from your own personal mission and you can sort of see that I guess, you know, when, when we're talking about winning the hearts and minds of the community, I can see that it really starts with you and it really starts with your own conviction and your own, you know, your own personal mission. And, and I can see how that then translates into the work that you do and and the care that you provide. It's really inspiring. I'm getting caught up in the conversation around ageism and, and I agree, like there's so much opportunity to do things differently.
1: Yes, thank you. I guess I'm very fortunate um, that my personal values so closely align with my professional values and the values of the organization. So I'm just one of those very lucky human beings and professionals who has found the right organization and the right role. And basically, I just give it all and and try to really make a difference in everything that I do. So that's really what you, where it's coming from, Tracy, and where, where, where yes, what's behind it, really. It's very, very true because, of course, um, as someone who has actually experienced this advantage, and uh, many people in the audience would be surprised that I came to Australia under the special humanitarian program. Because again, another thing that is not well known is that the Polish community in Victoria, Australia has actually the largest number of refugees that ever arrived in Australia till this date that's not something that's well known i didn't even know until a professor james jab from the national australian national university mentioned that to us at a conference that we organized so i actually represent the largest refugee community and that includes people who came as displaced persons after the second world war 170000 came altogether and then another 20000 that came from poland in the early 1980s which is when i came
0: Wow. That's something that I didn't I didn't know about either. So it's very, very interesting. And um yeah, how how long have you actually so you said you've been at AMCS for a number of years. You started there and you came back. And how many years of that have you been the CEO?
1: When I returned to AMCS in two thousand the role wasn't a CEO, it was a coordinator because we were a much smaller organization. So I have created the CEO role. <laughs> it moved from a coordinator to manager and now a CEO. I think the title is uh, perhaps bigger than we were, but we are getting there. So I think with the growth in the number of clients that we are supporting and in everything that we're doing, now the, we are catching up to make sure that the CEO role is really CEO, although it's, and we're no longer a small organization. When you met us, maybe we were, or we were just transitioning to a medium-sized organization. And I've been really pleased to watch that uh, that development. It, it's a great opportunity, and for us, it's particularly worked when home care was open to full market forces, so there's full competition. And uh, this, this winning of clients' hearts has been particularly successful for us. We've always known and believed very strongly that we were really good in what we were doing. We believe that our values are very authentic. It's all about clients and doing everything that we can to make a practical and real difference for individuals, families, and then, of course, communities at large. But for some reason, we just couldn't, couldn't quite show that through the funding applications. But now when seniors and their family members have to actually choose care organizations, word of mouth is the biggest referral source for us, which, of course, tells me as a CEO that whatever we're doing is working and we have others speaking highly of us and everything that we do.
0: And that's what we want to talk to you about today—is a bit more into the detail of how have you done this, and what are you doing there at AMCS to win over these hearts and minds of the communities that you work with. So, yeah, is there any particular initiatives, or are there any particular projects that you've been working on there at AMCS to to get these people on board and to to want to recommend you to you know other people like them?
1: So, what you're really asking for, then, is all the secrets that we have, isn't it?
0: <laughs> well, you know, you can choose what you can choose what you tell, but. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, what we've got is a lot of other people that is, you know, similar positions to yourself sort of thinking, oh, you know, how do I create an organization that wins over hearts and minds? Because I think most organizations are trying to do this, but for a lot of people, it's sort of hard to do and they don't really know where to get started. So i tell you what, you can you can tell us the, the parts of the recipe of your secret sauce that you're comfortable sharing, but uh, if you don't want to share, it's also that you're also welcome to keep some of those secrets close to you as well. <laughs>
1: That's fine. We're we confident enough to be able to share all, really, which, which is great. So it comes down to sort of my university training and this whole issue of access and equity principles. One of the things we do is, is, is make sure that we are accessible and really easy to talk to so that's number 1 because it's all about that uh, try to be really inclusive and mindful about that um you know probably no organization is perfect i am i am hoping that we will be perfect one day sometimes things don't quite go right but we really try to be very authentic uh, and if we say we do something we will do something we really that's what we Aim to do because overall we can be described as a as a service organisation that is professional in everything that we do. So therefore, I rely on on that sort of a conduct and and practice work practice from all our staff, the 230 staff that we have, and 100 I think 60 active volunteers that support our activities. So that's number one. Then second is the communication and engagement. So we actually go and spend time with communities where they are at. So it's in the various Community centers. We ask priests and religious leaders to announce, you know, information at the end of a a church service or at the mosque or wherever. So this is what we we're very strong on community engagement. We're very fortunate to be able to do that, but that's because we really believe in it. So we actually allocate time and resources for that to happen. Uh, So all the contact and communication with the various senior citizens clubs, and it's all ethnic clubs, we talk to them. And then we monitor difficulties uh, and challenges that people of migrant backgrounds and refugee backgrounds experience. So it's what is it that they are telling us, this active listening, if they're saying this is difficult, or they don't like this, we try to come up with a solution. But also, we monitor this whole issue of equity Are people really accessing services on an equitable basis? And again, it's all about the culturally and and linguistically diverse communities. And then respect the respect that we have and that understanding. Many of our staff speak with an accent like me. And when we talk to clients, I think that helps because although it's impossible to understand and know every cultural background, there are more than two hundred different communities living in Victoria. Of course it's one of the most multicultural states in Australia, and Australia is one of the, the second most multicultural country in the world after Israel. It helps just Having that lived experience, uh, having that lived experience of migration, of loss of family, familiarity with the environment. So when you migrate, you know, I'm someone who actually has no family in Australia at all. So I do understand what it's like when it's Christmas and it's meant to be a family time. Well, it's a little bit different for me, and I had to uh, adopt and create a family from my friends who really are that substitute and have been for the last four years So these are the things. So if I can summarize, it's really the integrity, authenticity, real focus. I call it laser focus. Uh, just making sure that our time is well used, uh, that we use professionals wherever possible to help us achieve best outcomes. And this is how we have met <laughs> Because uh, when you, uh, you know, offered this, this pro bono project, I thought this can really help us. And so therefore we put our hand up and we said, look, if you're interested, could you work with us? And of course, you know, a few years ago, co-design wasn't as popular as it is now. Yes, now it's become a norm, really, where three years ago it was quite innovative. So really looking for this kind of innovation, professional expertise and support, we, part of our secret is also we like having a good rapport with kindred spirit organizations and professionals because we believe in, we are all in it together. Uh, We are all through your roles. We are trying to make a difference and really make things better and easier uh, and more appropriate and really challenging some of the practices, including challenging ourselves because accepting that, you know, we just continue to do whatever we've been doing is not necessarily a good thing. And I think organizations can find themselves in trouble if disruption happens, which is exactly what we experienced. You know, this this full competition in home care services started and we just thought, wow, first of March 2017, I still remember the day and I thought, what will happen? We prepared, we, we did everything possible and it's just worked wonders for us.
2: Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. What I'm hearing is that, that real genuine care and, you know, I think it's that... Like when you really care about the people that you're supporting and you really are listening to them and understanding what's important to them, that enables you to be successful even when the world is changing around you and through taking that time to To listen and to actually go out and actively seek that those relationships and meet people where they are, like that's kind of the foundation, isn't it? And it it comes from that genuine care about the people that you're supporting. And then because they can sense that, then then as funding models are changing and as the world is changing around you, it's it's okay and you're able to pivot because you you understand your clients and you understand what they need and you understand what's important. And because that's your focus, then all of those other things just fall into place. So that's, that's a, a really great way of setting up an organisation so that, yeah, any disruption is able to be managed.
1: There's another example that I give as well, and that's um, when a client or an older person asks us for something that may be unusual, it is most unlikely to be not unusual for us. Because we automatically almost understand, we don't question it. If that is the preference, cultural preference or other preference or re- f- you know faith related preference or whatever whatever it may be, we do not question it. yeah. So some of the examples I've come across that, that are not good examples, for example, there was an HK facility where at the beginning of a meal, for seniors, yes? They wanted, to, they wanted them to eat other things which they considered more healthy, maybe, like protein-based and vegetables and et cetera. But it's actually a big no-no not to give Italians bread at the beginning of their meal, lunch or dinner. This is what you do there was again another case where a, a gentleman in an HK care facility wanted to sleep fully clothed because he, unfortunately, there, there's a trauma that has stayed with him and he wanted to be able to flee at any time. So understanding that, so for us, you know, it's so much easier for us to understand and accept and not question it and then work around it rather than really perhaps changing it. So these are the examples. I know we have one client who has family here, but as we know, families, children and grandchildren can be quite busy and don't always have enough time or or may not be able to see the parents or if children or grandchildren moved in the state or in another part of Melbourne, given how large the city is one of the things we did is actually uh, arranged an Arabic-speaking um, overseas TV channel for that client. So not only she could enjoy that in her own language, but even even more importantly she started to get people to come over to her place because she had the TV channel so so they were able to <laughs> piggyback and, and then participate and then get the benefits so again she had company because she had something that was of interest to others so these are the things you know we just wouldn't question that so we just know that uh, so that, that can be extremely satisfying for all of us here and that's why staff just when they work they just really work with their heart and, and mind and soul.
2: Is there something that you do with your team? Like, is it something that you look for when you're hiring them? Is it the way that you train your team or is it the way that you're the leaders that work for you? How does that all fit together?
1: So when we're recruiting for us, having an additional language or two or three, as you know, and I know you've met some of our staff and Lara was one of them. who So quite a few of our staff can actually speak more than one language. And I was fluent in German when I came to Australia because that's the language I learned in, in school. And I spoke German the way I speak English, and not anymore after all those years, which is unfortunate. And I also had to study Russian for eight years as part of the, the sort of communist system that we had. So we look for languages, and not only any language, it's it's actually to have the languages that are reflective of the clients as well. And that's not always easy because we know there's a shortage of Italian and Greek-speaking staff across the country. We are looking at considering perhaps sponsoring from overseas just to be, to make sure that our Italian and Greek-speaking clients are able to ring the office and speak in their mother tongue because this is just absolutely fantastic it means that they are much more independent they don't have to rely on the children if they they are not fluent in english or or are not comfortable or have lost the ability to speak english which happens it's known as language regression particularly when people retire their contact with um, english speakers it gets reduced and of course because most of us live uh, 20 years after retirement that means that when someone is 80 years of age or 90 years of age we even have clients who are more than 100 years of age that we are supporting at home that means that unfortunately they may experience this language barrier so language is one and of course, with that often comes the cultural understanding, whatever it is, even people that come from a, like a country like India, for example. Nevertheless, they still understand what it's like to come to another country, not to have parents, not to have family. So cultural understanding, language, it's always an additional factor that we are considering. So we recruit on merit. Clearly, we need to because of, you know, standards that we have to adhere to. And of course, it's very important that first and foremost people and staff that we recruit and appoint have the skills that are that are needed for a particular role but a language and cultural understanding is is always an additional factor and um, that may make someone you know successful and being appointed to a role although I have to say but we also have had staff of Anglo-Celtic backgrounds who we appointed and they were absolutely exemplary in how they became like one of us in the sense the way they could relate to people of ethnic backgrounds I re- still remember this woman that she was just absolutely fantastic she would listen and would really understand but she also had a, she was from the LGBT community maybe that was an additional factor because of course we know for many many years people of the LGBT community experienced disadvantage and barriers and discrimination so perhaps that was an additional factor I think it was also her as a, as a human being she just had this real understanding and empathy, and we've had quite a few of those examples. I'm afraid that when someone works at AMCS, this is what we expect. Even if they don't have that cultural understanding and empathy, we encourage them. So we do have training, and then we encourage them uh, to really embrace that. They have to, because it's who we are and how we do things here, that's our culture. We are very happy to share everything that we know. And our multicultural staff lunches are the most popular activity here. And the food is absolutely fantastic. We need to make sure that we invite you next time. So you can really enjoy this authentic, amazing food that is prepared by our staff to share. And then staff uh, who may not have the sort of cultural background, they really pick it up on a day to day basis. Because even our lunchtime conversations, there's always something that I learned when we were able to have lunch in a staff room. There would be something and our conversations I suspect are very different compared to a, a mainstream organization. We talk about things from overseas, we talk about cultural aspects and other things and I really like that because I'm pretty sure I learned something during, you know, during normal times, something every day, even someone who actually has training in multicultural studies and given my commissioner role.
0: That's really interesting because I was going to ask you as well around how you are making sure that you are meeting the needs of the people that you in the community that you serve and that you that you work with how do you apart from hiring these people that are empathetic and understandable how do you keep your finger on the pulse with that all the time because you work with diverse groups and then also needs are changing as well and always evolving so yeah how do you sort of keep your finger on the pulse all the time around that
1: very relevant question and that touches on our secret one of our professional secrets again we actually used to focus on supporting one community, which was the, the largest um, refugee community that I mentioned. And then I cannot really do my work, I believe, even in my role as a CEO, without really monitoring the sort of social demographic characteristics of communities. So within my hand reach, I actually have the statistics, the top 100 communities and languages spoken in Victoria, all the countries of birth for the 200 plus communities. And so when I talk to staff, when I conduct sessions, when we are doing our planning, including strategic planning, all of that is incorporated because up until the last two censuses, uh, I'm not including the one that we've just had because we don't have the data yet that will happen in August, that will come out in August next year, the Italian community was the largest in Victoria. Yeah. And I think Australia as well. Many people would normally say, if I ask them, which is the largest community, they would say Greek because Greek is the the largest um, sort of gathering outside of Greece. But what has changed is now the Indian and Chinese communities have have taken over. These are the largest two communities. The Indian community doubled in size in five years between the last two censuses. Yes, it'll be very interesting to see what the statistics are. The same with the Chinese community as well. So this is what we're monitoring. But in addition to that, I also have statistics for the 65 plus population. So it's not the Indian and Chinese communities. It's actually the Italian and Greek communities are the largest. And we work our way through it. We're not able to be as specific in our responses to every community, but we certainly target the largest community. So that's what we do. And we change that. We change that accordingly to what we are observing, what is communicated to us by communities, because another role that I haven't mentioned as yet that we do is actually mentoring for other smaller and emerging communities. So we are very proud of the fact that we actually helped to establish Indian Care which is now an independent organization that has functioned for quite a few years. So that's one. And we've done quite a bit of mentoring with other communities. Another recent example, we've been asked by the Department of Family Fairness and Housing to mentor an African women's organization to help them implement some government funding. So we are happy to share what what we know and we have learned over so many years. Again, that's part of our culture, but that's what we do. And we believe that it's about giving back, working together, but also empowering others, including capacity building for other communities, because the more of that is done, the society will be better for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so it really sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Elizabeth, but it sounds like you you, you observe a lot of sort of that quant-level data to try and understand what communities need your support and in what ways, and then you're sort of getting these stories through these lunches that you've put on, and, and then when you're, you've got these open and empathetic and great communicators that work with you that are out there speaking these languages or several of the languages for some of the super clever ones uh, out there in the community and they're bringing in those stories into the organization. And then as an organization, you're sort of learning from all that data and constantly tailoring and adapting your, the way that you work with these communities to ensure you're always meeting their needs. Is that kind of how it yes, works?
1: Yes, yes, yes. And try to incorporate this cultural appropriateness in everything that we do. So I remember I had a meeting with one of the leaders here and uh, she was very grateful for the time with me. And uh, she just, you know, normally people might, you know, just give a small gift or a bottle of wine or something. And then she came with a bottle of olive oil, nicely packaged. <laughs> and i <I'm> was thinking... <laughs> This is, you know, how often do you give someone a bottle of olive oil? And that's what we do. So rather than wine, we actually now, we really like this idea. So now we actually buy olive oil as a gift, um, which is, we believe, much better. So we adjust on the basis of feedback from others and working with others. But these are the examples. I know for one of the clients, we like to always come with something people may enjoy and again, have it culturally appropriate. So a jar of tahini and honey. You know, when you go to a client, and just, you know, say, look, you may enjoy this. Um, So tahini and honey. So just something different, but again, it's kind of multicultural, ethnic. That's us.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think that, you know, people feel like there's a lot of thought that's been put into a gift like that as well, I think, too.
1: Yes, yes. So when we have afternoon tea, it's it's not a cup of tea and scones. It's we we know we need to do much more than that because people from ethnic backgrounds do enjoy their foods and they uh, they expect to have a good meal, even if it's afternoon
0: tea. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to my invite for one of these lunches. Just remember, I just live around the corner. So <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Any just I'll get me all about in, in five minutes. I'll keep
1: that in mind. Whenever we, hopefully next year, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that'd be great. Hey, the other thing as well that I just wanted to mention too, that um, from the time that we've worked together, I think one thing that I've noticed that your organisation is really good at is relationships with uh, leaders within the different communities. I know one of the challenges when we do work on an innovation project or a co-design project with an organisation is recruitment of people who would be interested in participating, and we've never had that problem with AMCS because you've got so many great relationships with leaders who are then able to find people who that would be interested in participating and uh, interested in trying to you know solve a problem or Contribute more to the community. So, yeah, did you want to speak a bit about that and how you maintain those as an organization?
1: Thank you. I'm really pleased to hear that. And at the same time, I'm not surprised because it's it really comes down to this um, authentic, genuine community engagement. We do things, we support others, and people are always happy to support us whenever we can. We explain why something is will be beneficial for the community. We ask them for a contribution. We validate their lived experience. So that's what it is. So for anything that we need, and recently we've had quite a bit of media coverage again, because we just know the individuals. We support about 1,700 clients. So we just know individuals and their stories. Then we are able to, to actually um, have such interest and, and um, people agreeing to participate in everything that we do. So I'm really glad to hear it. I cannot imagine any other way. In fact, uh, we actually have more volunteers. Then, then we can accommodate as well, which continues to surprise me because most volunteer-based organizations or organizations who wish to recruit volunteers are usually short of volunteers. We are not short of volunteers, but for us, of course, we always have this thing that we try to match volunteers either in cultural language and kind of appropriateness. And that's the challenge that we have, but not the actual number as such. And I think the fact that we try really hard to be really multicultural in everything that we do, and reflect that our name really reflects that, that word multicultural is quite a draw card. We've noticed that because people say, oh, that's me, even if they come from the Baha'i community or they come from these communities that I've come across as a commissioner that I've never, ever heard of. But when you see the word multicultural, I know some people may not like the word and then not everyone likes that word. And they say, oh, there's no such thing as multi- someone is multicultural. But the reality is that everyone, who comes from overseas can actually see themselves in that word, as in I am part of the Multicultural Mosaic and Society in Australia.
0: Yeah, look, thanks so much, Elizabeth. That was just such an interesting uh, conversation. It's so great to hear all the different things that you and the the team there at AMCS are doing to win over these hearts and minds of the, all the different communities and the very diverse communities that you do support. So really appreciate the time um, for you to take the time out of your busy day to spend that with us and, and share all these ideas with um, and all of your secrets with with uh, others like you or people that are leading other organisations that are trying to get out there and understand diverse communities a bit better rather than having a one-size-fits-all approach. So I'm sure all the things that you shared today have been very helpful. So thank you so much for, for again, coming on the show and spending uh, that time with us.
1: Thank you. Much appreciated to you both. And uh, if anyone who is listening is interested in partnering with us, any any family members who wish to have someone in the family supported by us, we are always here and we are only a phone call away. So an open invitation to anyone who would like to work with us
0: fantastic we would absolutely highly recommend that we've uh, we've worked with these guys a few times there it's an absolute pleasure so we'll put um the amcs website in the show notes as well so that if anyone is interested in, in contacting elizabeth and her team we'll make that easy to do so so thanks once again elizabeth it's been great Thank
1: You, Cheers.
0: thanks for listening to another episode of the innovate for impact podcast any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.